Welcome to Convicted Success, a podcast dedicated to women who have been or are incarcerated. On tonight's episode, Know Your Worth, we have a special guest joining us to share her story, including the hardships, challenges, and her transformation from convict to chef. Let's go. you guys. Welcome back to Convicted Success. As always, I'm your host, Sheena Cluche, founder of Leaf Community and the owner of The Convicts Coach. For tonight's episode, Know Your Worth, my guest Alex is going to tell us her story and share her journey to finding her worth. Here's the funny part, and I have to tell you guys this, full disclosure, I've known Alex for almost seven years, and even though we both know that the other one was locked up at some point, we've never actually discussed our past, our experiences, prison, or anything like that. Isn't that crazy? So this this is all going to be new, new to me as well. I mean, I didn't even think about it until we were about to record, and I was like, oh, wow, I didn't know any of this. <laughs> so anyways, I found that interesting, but... Going back to it, like most of the women that share with us here on the podcast, her story starts out when she was pretty young. There were a lot of ups and downs in her journey, but today she's a dedicated mother and an amazing professional chef. Her drive to make a better life for her family is proof that success is possible. And sometimes, hey, sometimes we just have to create it for ourselves, right? And she's funny as shit to you guys. So let's go ahead and get into it. All right, everybody, welcome back. Joining me tonight is Alexandra Donato. Hi, guys, what's going on? And she's going to tell her story. So Alexandra was actually in Washington State back in 2006. That's when she was released. So go ahead and tell us, first of all, how did you get to prison? Let's start that crazy ride. Um, Well, that crazy ride started when I just didn't have a good bone in my body through my adolescent years. I just wanted to defy everything and everyone. Um, I liked to run the streets. I wanted to get to some money. I was stealing. I was doing drugs. For the most part, um, it started around 16 where it was real heavy, getting in trouble, going to juvenile facilities, running away, stealing from my mama, fighting my mama um in about when I turned 17 I had fully dropped out of school um I was running downtown in a real grimy part of Seattle with some real grimy folks and at that time in my life it was like I'd get a charge I'd get out and I'd do it again I'd get a charge I'd get out and I'd do it again and it wasn't until I had racked up that third felony that they were like, we're going to sit you down. And I went to the county jail at 17, turned 18 in the county jail. And from there, proceeded to go to a state penitentiary. What year was that? Um, I was sent to the state penitentiary in 2005. And then I was released in 2006. Um, I was on parole. I didn't make it a week out of prison before I was stealing out of a department store to get my shit together. I had no clothes. I had nothing really to come home to. Um, and I went back into the same habit form 
and was in jail for a parole violation. After I got out of jail, I made an attempt to get my life together and got a fast food job. Um, I ended up getting pregnant with my oldest child, who is now 13. And I kind of transitioned myself into a way where it was her or prison, and I chose her. So you were only down one time? I was only down one time. And that was in Washington State? Yes, at Purdy State Penitentiary. Tell me about that. What was that experience like? Um, you know, sadly, that experience was very um, eye-awakening to me because it was very strange to include this. Another person was included in my story as to why prison was the experience it was. Um, a little backstory. When I was 13, I moved to the state of Washington, and I had a friend, a childhood friend that I grew up with. Um, our friendship ended because as a young child herself, she got sent to prison for murder, um, being an accomplice to a murder. When I got to the penitentiary, she knew I was coming. She knew I was on my way. When I got there, she greeted me. I was in maximum security. Um, I stayed there for a large portion of my sentence because I always had contraband. I was getting in trouble. I wasn't following the rules. Um, it wasn't until I became eligible for a work release program that I sat down with her. She had already done about 12 years at the, or eight years at that point and had about 16 or 17 to go. She's still there Ooh. to this day. Um, she just told me, like, this is not for you. I don't want to see you come back here. Don't come back here. And I got out and her voice wasn't there for me to not come back. I didn't go back, thankfully, but her voice really spoke to me once I had my daughter, like, I don't need to go back. Yeah. So I just made the changes to do so. And you were really young, too. Yeah, I was 17. I didn't really get a chance to, you know, go to prom and do what a normal 17-year-old should be doing. Um, I was running with men way older than me. Um, and for the most part... That portion of 15 to 19, um, I just didn't really get to experience because I was in and out of juvenile facilities in jail. I have misdemeanors. I have I'm a seven-time felon with five misdemeanors. And, and you only went down one time. Yeah, because that one time, how it happened, the three that I received in one county is what put me in prison. The other four that I received in another county... Three of them were for forgery and fraud against my own mother because in my struggle of wanting to be a bad person in my adolescent years, I stole from my mother. I robbed from my mother um, and she charged me. She made sure I got a criminal charge for that, which I deserve as any parent um, should do. Um, although I disagree with how it happened, she didn't solely give me my felonies. I gave them to myself. Um, the other felonies that I incurred were theft and assault on a peace officer. Well, it was a corrections officer. Um, I did county time for that. I spent a large majority of my youth locked up. And then when I became an adult, the short portion in prison. So in Washington state, do you feel like they have a sufficient amount of programming for the inmates that are there? What kind of pro programming do they have? You know, in Washington State, um, I can say this. 
When I was in the juvenile facilities, they did provide mental health services and job training services to me. I had went to Job Corps on one occasion, and even there, I couldn't get it together. I wanted to break the rules. I was fighting. I was sneaking out. I was selling drugs. Um, I was getting caught with drugs. So they social work-wise, as far as trying to get me to steer my path, um, there were programs available in the county that I lived in. Um, when I got out as an adult and I was on parole, there there weren't job training opportunities. There weren't um, rehabilitation opportunities. In the prison, you're forced to have a job or a program. Some of the programs that they provide to where you can get ample training, you have to have been there for at least five years or a 10-year term, like paralegal services and business management. Um, to people who are there on a short-term basis, the only opportunity handed to us is work release. And that means you go out to a halfway home and then you get your own job in the community and you pay to actually live in that halfway as home. As long life. as you can get a job in the community. Yeah, and that, that doesn't necessarily happen to where you can afford to have ample housing and provide you know, for myself, when I had a child, the reality of minimum wage and what I wanted for my lifestyle became hard. And the harsh reality of not being able to get an apartment or not being able to apply for certain housing opportunities like Section 8 or low income housing are not options for felons. And that was a real struggle. So when you got out, what were some of the challenges that you faced? Um, you know, I think the biggest challenge that I faced was myself because I didn't believe in myself once I got turned down the one time. It's kind of like I allowed my situation to be what it was as an acceptance. Like I'm a felon, so this is what they're giving me. This is what I'm going to take because I'm going to get turned down more times than I'm going to get hired. Um, I had to have roommate situations just because housing to apply for on an application and say I'm a newly released felon, a low-income mother, um, it's less likely for me to be able to afford what they're going to require, extra deposits and what have you. So I think my biggest challenge was myself and how I felt about what I was capable of and what I deserved. So on that path, because you're doing great now, mm -hmm. Well, What's... not great. I'm all right. I'm all right. I'm all right. I could do better. In consideration, in yeah. comparison. Yeah, in right? comparison, I'm, I'm doing better. What steps did you have to take? What were the, the first steps that you took to get where you are today? So the first step I would say that I took was in 2010. I moved to Las Vegas um, with my daughter, Jordan. She was three years old at the time. And I started working for the Bellagio Feast Buffet. And I got a position. I lied on my resume. I'm going to keep it real with you because I needed to get to some big money. And, you know, I, I have to. The reason I'm saying this and I want to be honest about it was because in the way that I lied was in what my abilities were and what my skills were and what I practiced in my home. Now, I might not have to have those experiences in a fancy restaurant or somewhere else because prior to that job I'd worked Quiznos, Pizza Hut, QFC Dairy, um, not Dairy, Bakery. Um, I worked Subway, Porta Subs, like little nothing that wasn't going to really be sufficient. 
Um, I lied on the resume. I started working there. I got myself into a culinary training program to get a certificate. I was living in the ghetto with my daughter, just in a little two-bedroom house and going and donating plasma and selling my clothes and just doing whatever I could to get by. And that's what kind of got the ball rolling for me. Um, I would say after that job, um, and I, when I lost that job, I started doing recipe developing online and trying to sell my recipes. Or um, at the time, I was really looking into how am I going to maneuver myself into the industry and find a trade for myself, whether it be pastry or grill cook or fryer, what can I do? And I wanted to harness that in a way where I didn't have to lie on my resume anymore. Um, in 2014, I moved to California. Um, I had had two children. I had had Fallon in 2014 and Actually, it was 2015. I moved to California, pregnant, decided that I wanted to go to culinary school and get an actual degree and really get my craft situated so that way I could take that back to Las Vegas and do something with it. Um, once I graduated culinary school, top of my class, have you know, I gave the <laughs> speech. I had yes! people crying. <laughs> Um, but yeah, that, that, that was important for me because I wanted my mother to be able to see that I was able to change my lifestyle and what she taught me about being an adult, it worked and we, she didn't, she didn't fail me and I, I wasn't going to fail her. And you guys have a good relationship now. We have a great relationship. We have a fabulous relationship. Um, every day, my, my largest, I, I want to say it. I regret, but I learned, um, honor thy mother. God damn it. You know, because everybody's mother's not built the same way my mom is. But if you have the type of mom that I have, honor thy mother. And I'm teaching my children that as well. I come first. I have your best interest. So you've been out 14 years. Mm -hmm. How does that feel? Like, do you look back now, like, does that feel like a foreign memory? No, it doesn't. Um, there's certain things about my life that bring me back to being locked up. Um, for instance, I don't like no closed doors. And that that's not funny, even though that's a funny thing to say. Um, I don't like when doors are closed in my house. I don't like my children to close the door. Um, when they want certain things like top ramen and I see certain things about top ramen as a chef like that, it messes with me. Like, I don't know, um, certain like card games, you know, you want to play spades. I might get into the character like my my attitude will change. You're because, back on the yard. <laughs> yeah, because I'm back there. You know what I mean? And it's just. No, I, I totally get that. My thing is lights. Lights in my face. Yeah, when sleeping I'm with the light on. Yeah. And and it's more of a like sudden like flash in my face when mm -hmm. I'm asleep because I immediately go back to my bunk and I'm in count. Yeah. And they're coming through at three o'clock in the morning. Yeah. Or like when I'm in my bathroom, for instance, my toilet and my sink are so close together. And if you've been locked up, you know how that is. Your toilet and your sink are one in one. And I don't know. I, that, that probably sounds silly to the average person. But when you've been locked up, you have to remember you're stuck in a confined space mentally. That Every day. It will mess with you. Regardless of how mentally strong you think you are, there's things that you've experienced in the outside world that you do not have access to in that cell. 
and it gives your brain a lot of space to create a sick place. So with my kids, I don't go there, you know, and I try to keep it very positive, but I'm very open about my incarceration with my children because I don't, I don't want them to think that it's a game or that it's something to, I made a mistake and it's okay. Like my mom did, she bounced back. Everybody don't bounce back. And it's hard to get out of the system. It really is. Even if you jump from state to state, no matter where you're at, you're in the system. Your record is there. They can see it. They know, they think they know who you are anyways. And there's things about being a felon that are really stuck with you for life. There is a stigmatism about being a criminal, a thief, a drug addict, a drug seller. These things will never go away no matter what you do with your life. People will always look at you in a light. It's how you look at yourself is what I realized. It took me a long time to not care about what people think. And even still now, there's times where I do care about what people think because then it affects my my ability to be creative or communicate with them because I'm so worried about the judgment that they have of me. But 14 years later, I'm proud to say I'm a felon and I've came a long way. And being able to raise my kids and and maintain a household with my partner, he's even open with me talking about it with them because he doesn't want that for them. Yeah. It's a learning tool. Yes. Absolutely. 100%. Um, In the prison uh, up in Washington State, did they provide any kind of therapeutic services or or any kind of transitioning programs for 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 those getting out so yes they did they had obviously chaplain services they had mental health services where you were not required to see a counselor um i didn't take advantage of those things for a few reasons because at the time that i was in there i was still i still had a mind of manipulation and i would target women who were getting pills and have what have you. And I wasn't getting the pills because when you go talk to the counselor, they give you pills. They give you a sleeping additive or they give you an anxiety medication. They're going to give you something because they're going to find something wrong with you mentally. And that's how they fix it in the penitentiary. They don't really discuss the root of the problem. They address it with narcotics and sometimes even opioids, which hooks people in the penitentiary and it creates a system where they're going to keep coming back because they know they can get what you're giving them and they don't have a problem because they're comfortable being there. I didn't want to, I didn't want to get comfortable. I didn't want to express that because I knew that it was a trap to bring you back in. I noticed it with the majority of the women there. Other than pills, because that's, I mean, that's a huge problem in a lot of the prisons. Mm Mm-hmm. How, what was the other drug situation like? Were there drugs on the yard? Was it? Oh, yeah. yeah. Um, I'd get weed from in the, so I worked in the cafeteria, of course, because you know I get down. Everybody so, works in the cafeteria, <laughs> but I know you were killing it. Yeah, but see, the part, you know, what I was doing, I was making the stuff taste good in there because it was lacking You flavor. were putting some flavor in there? Yeah. <laughs> um, so weed was very accessible um, because in the cafeteria, some of the women that worked minimum, which was a higher access to because they got to leave and go out to the public and have jobs and stuff and come back. And in any case, um, weed was accessible. Cocaine was accessible. Crack was not easily made because you need a microwave or, you know, either way. <laughs> you um, um, I, I didn't really I only dabbled in what I could sell. So um, heroin was available at one time and then we got locked down and it wasn't for a few months. 
but yeah, drugs were, were, were available and women were sleeping with guards. And I mean, it's the penitentiary, you know, (laughs) every state's a little bit rougher. I mean, Vegas, Vegas is a playground. Mm -hmm. We don't really, but then again, they also don't provide services out here either. So it's kind of a wash. Okay. Um, so you got out, got your shit together. Mm -hmm. How are you doing now? How am I doing now? So as far as my career is concerned, I'm doing great. I'm in a position right now where I'm learning new things in the industry about how to do work online with what I want to do as far as being a private chef and eventually one day publish my own recipe book. Um, I'm doing great. I'm able to work from home. I'm still able to homeschool my children. Mentally, I struggle, you know, because you always... I don't know. I can't speak for everybody, but for myself, I sometimes feel like, damn, am I good enough? What's my worth? If somebody sees this about me, how do I, what do I say to explain? Um, But other than that, I feel like I just want to be able to talk to a 17 year old me that's out there doing what I was doing. What advice would you give yourself? 17 year old you go. (laughs) Listen to your mama. You only got one life to live. One day you might not wake up. One day it might not be the stab wound to your stomach. It might be the stab wound to your heart. One day it might not be them shooting at your boyfriend, but shooting at you. It might not be that you were the accomplice, but you were the suspect. Listen to your mama. Go to school. Stay in school. Find a hobby. Do something with your life. As much energy as you put into being in the streets and being bad, put that same amount of energy into molding yourself into being something good, something worthy. Yes. Love yourself. 100%. Thank you so much for joining us tonight. I love it. It was so great. I can't wait for everybody to hear this. (laughs) Me neither. (laughs) And if you do, keep following along because I'll be back. (laughs) Have a good night, everyone. All right. Good night. Isn't she great? Oh, that was fun. Thank you, Alex. We're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, since we're talking about self-worth, I'm going to share some confidence building techniques with you guys. Stay tuned. Okay, we are back. Thank you for sticking around. Let's go ahead and talk about self-worth. So what does it mean to have self-worth? Simply put, it's the measure of the value we put on ourselves, what we think we deserve in life. It's important to understand that self-worth and self-esteem, they're two very different things. Now, self-esteem, that's what we think and we believe about ourselves. But self-worth, that's recognizing that you're greater than all of those things put together. Self-worth, it doesn't tend to last or work without self-worth. So they do go hand in hand, but again, they are very different things. Now your sense of self-worth, that helps you trust your own judgment. It helps you make better decisions, which those are important leadership qualities to have in life. The majority of the time when we talk about low self-worth, low self-esteem, we see those attached to things like unhappy childhoods, um, poor performance in schools, which 
we know can devastate a child's confidence long term, oftentimes leading well into adulthood. We do see that a lot. Um, Ongoing issues in our personal relationships or with our financials, those can really hit our self-worth hard as well. For those of us who've been locked up, there's an added layer of mess that we have to dig through. And I I think a lot of you are going to relate here in a minute. We hold a lot of secrets, especially those of us with addictions. We've done some pretty grimy things. We've seen some pretty crazy stuff. It's a whole different world. And sometimes to think back on that, we tend to put ourselves back in that moment, back in that mind frame. And then deep down, we start to manifest those feelings again, those feelings of worthlessness, um, you know, being horrible people, undeserving of greatness uh, for all the things that we did, of course, like it's a retribution. And then it becomes a reflection of our self-worth. But in reality, and this is so important to remember, I'm sure you guys have heard this before, those moments were just a part of a chapter in our life um, that for a lot of us were closed a long time ago. At the same time, it all seems so clear. When we really think about it, we can really visualize a lot of those situations. But again, that's been, you know, that chapter has been closed for a long time. Now, of course, for those of you just hitting the streets, I'm sure it's even tougher. It's fresher. It's a lot more recent. You haven't had the chance to build up those years of distance from the past, but the same goes for you. That chapter is closed. Whether it was 20 years ago, yesterday, it's closed. Right now, this is a new fresh blank page. Start the new chapter. Make it a great one. It's completely up to you. You have all the control. So here's what I want you to do for me right now. If you're listening in, it's a little exercise, if you will, on self-worth. I want you to grab a pen and paper and you can do this in your head if you want. But if you're writing this down, it's going to be a lot more effective. You'll be able to visually see it. Um, But what I want you to do is I want you to take a minute and I want you to write down the qualities that you value in humans. Um, Some examples could, of course, be like kindness Uh, someone who's honest, being true to oneself. Maybe you value someone with a good sense of humor, Um, grateful, outgoing, charitable, self-aware. The list goes on. But again, I want you to list those values that are most important to you. And while you're working on that, um, I want to mention this very quickly as well. Every month I email out our free uh, random acts of kindness bingo cards The um, bingo cards, random acts of kindness, they do two things for us. One, and this is, of course, the most important thing, it lets us make amends for all the shitty things we did back in the day, and it clears a path for us to be better people in life. Two, it feels really good. So if you want to take a stab at November's random acts of kindness bingo card, find me on Facebook, The Convicts Coach, and send me a DM. Um, I'm on Instagram as well, or you can just shoot me an email at your life coach at leaf, L-E-A-F-E, community.com. And I'll get those over to you. There are prizes, giveaways, um, check-ins. It's a really little fun little activity to do throughout the month. So let's go back to the values list really quickly. I want you to take a look at what you've written. Just take a moment, read through the values that you've written 
uh, the qualities rather that you value the most. And I want you to think about this. The qualities that you value the most in others are the qualities that you yourself hold. Think about that. What we see in others is a reflection of ourselves. And this should help you start to see that despite your past, despite all the craziness, all the darkness, you're still a good person. You're worthy of greatness. You have good attributes. Um, and it's been there this whole time. You, you just didn't recognize it. Now in December, uh, the topic for the free power of three virtual group session that I'm doing is on confidence building. So if you actually want to sign up for that, you can go to the website, www.leafcommunity.com to reserve your spot. There's a ton of worksheets that we go through, activities, exercises, so it's a lot of fun. But again, it's all focused around confidence building. Um, And there are a lot of other things that you can do too to boost your self-confidence, which in turn, of course, increase your self-worth. And you can try some of these out, see the change for yourself. Let me know what you think. If any of these work for you, especially well, let me know. But I would recommend using all of these together. So the first thing that I always tell my clients, make yourself a priority, always. And this doesn't mean if you have children or other important people in your life that you're going to be putting yourself in front of them. What this means is that self-care is crucial. You need to make time for yourself. If you're tired, take a nap. If you need help, ask for it. If you need alone time, take it. Um, You know, watch the way you eat. But self-care, that is crucial to happiness in the future. Um, Stop being a people pleaser. This is your life. Do it your way. Um, If you have goals, something that you want to achieve, don't let anything get in that way. Don't let anybody deter you, especially if you still have people in your life that might not necessarily be on the right path at the moment. Uh, Find yourself, get to know you. And I know that sounds kind of corny, but honestly, if you can't be a hundred with yourself, then you'll never be able to move forward no matter what it is that you're trying to do. Watch yourself talk. This is so, so, so important when you are. Uh, talking to yourself or talking about yourself or uh, you're having an inner dialogue. No negativity. Watch the words that you're using. Be kind to yourself. Don't beat yourself up over your mistakes. I mean, honestly, we're all effing human. We all screw up. Um, but use change the negative words that you use. And replace them with positive ones. Um, Acknowledge your successes. This is a huge one. Again, I use this all the time with my clients. I actually make them list these things out so they can visually see them. Acknowledge your successes. Be your own cheerleader. Shout it from the freaking mountaintops. Be proud of your accomplishments. But... At the same time, be grateful. Okay, remember where you came from. The struggles that you went through to get where you're at, use those to fuel your drive. And the most important one, I think, and again, um, I use this in all my coaching, whether it's in my group sessions, 
one-on-one, whether I'm dealing with confidence building, goal setting, um, addiction, it doesn't matter what the topic is. The one thing that we always work in, that I always work in is nurturing a positive attitude. This is honestly the most effective tool that can be used really to start changing your mindset about things. Anytime you start to feel a negative thought come into your head, pause and take a moment to recognize the positives in that situation, in that thought process. Let me give you an example. So I had a client who on her first visit kind of broke down to me her current situation, you know, living with her parents, bad blood between them. Um, She was incarcerated. She was on a waiting list for a program, but it wasn't open yet. She couldn't find a job. A lot of little things that she was dealing with at the time. And so when she was done, I went back and I said, okay, let's look at this in a different light. Let's, Let's look for the positives in these negatives. So number one, you have a family. You have a home. You're not starving. You are on a waiting list for a program. So there is a plan. And she was actively going to meetings. She had a sponsor. I'm like, girl, you are totally on the right track, but you're clouded by negativity. You have to see the positives. And that doesn't mean that there's not negatives in life. That's that it doesn't mean that. But what it means is taking a situation, taking a negative and seeing the positive that can come out of it. Otherwise, you're going to miss out on so much. Um, so there are a lot of techniques for you here to try out. Let me know what you think. Thank you so much for listening in tonight. I appreciate all the love and support you guys have given us. Special shout out again to Alex. Your story is definitely going to inspire some young girl out there listening in who might think their dreams are out of reach. Make sure to tune in next Wednesday at 8 p.m. for a very special episode. I have four women who will be joining me, including Alex, for an intense group discussion. Good night, everyone. Stay safe and stay free. Thank you for tuning in and listening to another episode of Convicted Success, a podcast dedicated to women who are and have been incarcerated. Make sure to tune in every Wednesday at 8 p.m. Pacific Standard Time for a new episode and a new story. This podcast is sponsored by Leaf Community and provided by The Convicts Coach. Make sure to follow both of our pages on Facebook and Instagram. Have a good night.